Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Um, I was, am very pleased to uh, introduce the third of a five-part series on aerospace manufacturing here on Manufacturing Talk Radio. And we have quite a group that we've assembled today, and we're really going to be talking about aerospace manufacturing in Mexico. They're our neighbor to the south, and we're very excited to have a very uh, a mixed group of professionals to talk about that particular subject. Um, Luke, and, uh, are you up for uh, the news piece today? Are you uh, hooked into us? Uh, I am. I'm, I'm good so far. Good. Uh, uh, thank you for uh, doing the intro there. Uh, normally, we start off the show with a news item uh, of some magnitude in the manufacturing sector. Uh, however, today we have uh, something really spe- something special to announce. And that we're going to use that as our news uh, feed for today. Uh, we have Professor Andriana Sanford of the Arizona State University uh, joining us in a second show, which will be about 10 minutes after our first show. And she's going to be talking about uh, cybersecurity and data security. And if there's a difference or if they're alike, I'm not clear, but she, I'm sure she's going to point it out for us. Uh, Adriana uh, Sanford has more degrees, titles, and such that I'm not going to even try to go into. Uh, Tim will do it in our next show. So all of you who uh, are listening, stick around for the second show. It'll be about 10 minutes after this show ends. And uh, we will have a a good uh, show with uh, uh, Professor Sanford. Uh, Tim? Now, let me introduce each of our guests one by one, and then we're going to go into a conversation about uh, aerospace in Mexico. I want to start with with uh, Steve. Uh, Steve Colantwani, Vice President of Marketing for uh, the Tecma Group of Companies. Uh, Steve, did I get your last name pronounced anywhere close to correct? It was in the ballpark. It's uh, Colin Tony. It's uh, vowel-laden, therefore it's a bit of a challenge for most people to pronounce. But all in all, you did a pretty good job. Okay. Uh, we also have with us the uh, director at Naranco, uh, which is uh, Aldo Rodriguez. Uh, Aldo, thank you for joining the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation and the opportunity. Oh, we appreciate you being here. You're uh, in Mexico. And we have Gail Thompson, who is a renowned industry expert, retired vice president of international operations for the Offshore Group. Gail, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. Gail, I really want to start with you because one of the subjects uh, that comes up that since you're the most uh, seasoned and I'm in that same seasoned age bracket uh, is the uh, maquiladores in Mexico. Can you kind of give us a history of the the maquiladores then and now? Well, it's really interesting because it goes back to World War II when all of the young men in the United States uh, were enlisted in the armed forces and it left well, a vacancy to attend to the planting and harvesting and maintaining of crops. So the United States opened a program in the early 40s that allowed Mexicans to come legally into the United States and work. I remember as a young boy in Idaho, 
I was only six years old, but we had Mexicans that would come, and they would thin the sugar beets. At that time, we had a sugar beet farm and corn. But uh, over the years, this has been a very successful activity in the United States until in 1965, the United States declared that was no longer necessary, so they closed this program. The name of this program was called the Bracero Program. That then left a large unemployment along the northern border of Mexico, and Mexico had a very serious problem. How do we employ these people? There were several thoughts. Well, let's bring industry in and invite them to come, foreign industry, and uh, give these people jobs. But individuals from the interior of Mexico and those that already had their uh, factories did not want to have the competition. Mm-hmm. There was a compromise. The compromise, you can bring in machinery and equipment and uh, transform the products into a finished goods and ship them back to the United States, but it all had to ship to the United States. Nothing could stay in Mexico to compete with our current uh, industry in Mexico. Uh, that was fine for a while, but that began to change. And then later on in uh, the early 1990s, they enacted the program called the North American Free Trade Agreement, whereas Canada, United States, and Mexico could interchange goods back and forth without paying duties on those materials and uh, cost uh, created in those countries. Duties from uh, Asia or from Europe were still enacted on products coming uh, from those areas. So that's a real brief history of what we call the maquiladora. It has changed drastically from when it was first introduced in the mid-1960s. Well, very interesting history. I never realized that it was an outpouring from World War II. That is truly fascinating. Uh, Steve, I want to jump to you real quickly. Uh, have you give us a little bit about uh, information about the Tecla Group and what you folks do. You're in the Tucson, Arizona area. Is that right? Actually, today I happen to be physically in the Tucson, Arizona, but the company uh, is is located in El Paso, and we have operations that uh, uh, span the border from El Paso all the way over to Baja, California, and do some work in the interior. One city uh, in Mexico's interior would be Torreón, Nuevo León, and what we provide are what are known as shelter services in Mexico, and I'll give you the the 15-second uh, explanation of what that is. We okay. do everything for manufacturers other than their core manufacturing functions. In other words, manufacturers bring their raw materials, their uh, know-how, and their manufacturing machinery, and then we do everything around them that you need in place, such as human resources, logistics, accounting, payroll, and, and you can imagine what those things are that are not core to manufacturing. So it's basically a system into which companies that want to get into Mexico while, you know, obviously lowering costs and mitigating risks, uh, they can do so. They can just plug into this, this ready-made infrastructure and, and, and take advantage of it in, a, in, in fairly, uh, fairly quick order. Great. And, Aldo, you're uh, in Mexico. You're with uh, Duranco. Uh Please give us, uh, our listeners, uh, some information about you, if you would, please. 
Yes, of course. Uh, well, my my challenge right now, as I was speaking uh, with uh, Stephen the other day, and it's interesting. This is another one of my startups of uh, a factory in Mexico. Right now, I'm uh, leading this project. Uh, Noranco decided to start this operation in Monterrey, and, and right now we are in this process of developing the, the site, the, the team, the, the skills, and, and the technology. Uh, a little bit about myself, I spent some, some years with senior aerospace from 2006 to last year in October when I uh, took this invitation with Noranco. Uh, again, it was a similar project, start up with the factory and transfer of technology to serve the, the market pretty much as OEM supplier or tier one supplier to OEMs. A little bit back in my history, I spent some other years with, with uh, Honeywell doing some supplier development activities, sourcing and, and helping Honeywell find the best possible options for uh, suppliers in, in, in the country. So I'm, I'm an engineer, I'm a technical guy, I'm a process guy, I enjoy doing uh, uh, manufacturing a lot and recently more uh, involved in international trade and also participating with other organizations like FEMIA, the Federación Mexicana de la Industria Aeroespacial, and AMT as uh, part of the advisor, advisory board, which I enjoy a lot. So again, thank you for the invitation in this roundtable. Well, gentlemen, thank you for uh, the intros that you gave uh, in respect to uh, your personal professions as well as your companies and association uh, uh, activities. Uh, this show is uh, we've we've started the uh, five-part series of aerospace, and we've done uh, New England several weeks ago. We did the southeast of the United States, where we talked a lot about. Uh, lot of the uh, migration of aerospace from the West Coast to the East Coast, moving into Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and so on. And there's actually been quite a few companies, uh, upwards of 200, 250. Uh, and I, I gather that there's been some of the same type of migration moving into or starting up in Mexico. And I believe that you're, you may be looking at something like 400 companies that have opened up in the aerospace industry in Mexico. I hope that number is uh, correct. Uh, gentlemen, uh, we would like to talk about aerospace in, uh, in Mexico and what's happening down there. And uh, we know that uh, you know, Mexico is now being referred to as the new China. And uh, for all, some of all the uh, same or obvious reasons, except maybe uh, – cheaper to uh, operate down there than, us, than the U.S. buying from China and uh, perhaps better quality, which we'll talk about. And uh, so, gentlemen, uh, Tim, if you have a, a question to direct to one of our uh, speakers, uh, please do so. Uh, Aldo, what is going on with uh, aerospace manufacturing in Mexico? I know that uh, over the next 20 years or some 40,000 aircraft that are projected to be uh, built, uh, and, of course, all the other aircraft that will remain in service as those new aircraft come online. What's happening with aerospace manufacturing in Mexico, Aldo? Well, that, that's a, a great question, very, very broad concept. I can share with you what, what we see in the manufacturing community within the circles in 
in FEMIA and other uh, groups of interest, we see a tremendous opportunity in Mexico. And as you can attest, there are more and more companies already producing not only parts. Let's remember we are seeing more and more integration. We see more uh, assembly work. We see more electromechanical assemblies. We see more composites. We see more sophisticated and value-added components all across the country. The industry is now growing at a pace that is two-digit sustained. If you compare it to other industries, uh, we are really, really climbing in, in, in the ladder uh, with the number of em employees and square feet on the roof that are dedicated to, to aerospace manufacturing. Uh, there is no comparison right now with the automotive industry. Everybody can can see that. Uh, that's, it's, a, it's a difficult comparison to do because we still are not as as big as the uh, automotive industry in, in the country, but certainly growing uh, twice as fast and quickly becoming very strategic for the for the country. What I can what I can see here is a clear trend for more value added, for more integration, more sophistication, and, and more Mexican content in, in assemblies that ultimately go to those big assembly lines in the uh, northwest of the U.S. and even in, in Europe. It's very pleasing to see that maybe 15, 20 years ago we saw uh, a number of companies doing components transforming metal, forging castings or sheet, sheet stock into parts, you know, components. But today we see many of those bricks put together in the structure for what will become an airplane or a, or a helicopter. So my point here is the trend is clearly that Mexico becomes more and more an integrator, more and more a partner, and, and more quickly becoming a value-added uh, component in this supply chain, not, not only parts, but more sophistication, assemblies, and, and value added. That, that's what I can see here. I, I gather that they're looking for the aerospace employment sector in Mexico, I think by the end of this year or the end of next year, to be somewhere around 100,000 uh, skilled laborers. Um, that's uh, a pretty uh, impressive number for a fairly new industry to Mexico, at least new in the uh, blossoming period of time that we're in right now. Um, the United States has a problem with the gray hairs retiring and uh, millennials uh, not necessarily looking to go into manufacturing. Um, how, are, how is Mexico handling or dealing with the issue of uh, – skilled and or and or unskilled labor to go into such a technical and precise industry as the aerospace industry. Aldo, why don't you, uh, why don't you answer that one? That's, that's a great question and really my, one of my favorite topics where I, where I have more interest and more passion uh, with, with many other colleagues in, in the industry. Skill and and training for, for our people is critical, absolutely critical. And you, you will be amazed to see the, the level and the, the complexity of, of the training schemes that are in place right now in the country. 
Just to give you one example, the UNAC, Universidad Aeronáutica in Querétaro, that's next to the airport, if you have flown into Querétaro lately, uh, there is an impressive facility there with, you know, high-class labs, uh, professors from all over the, the, the world, and very solid programs. They are really uh, shaping the future of, of the industry in, in those schools. There is another example in Chihuahua, and there is yet one more example here in Monterrey, with the Universidad Autónoma de Nuevo León in FIA, Centro de Investigación e Innovación en Ingeniería Aeronáutica. And those are just three uh, visible examples of very serious uh, educational institutions that are in operation in the country and in the last five years have really made an effort to have these programs comparable to other countries in, in, in terms of the, the quality of the professor, the quality of the facilities, the quality of the materials that they use. So the, the, the students, the, the boys and girls that are going to those classrooms and getting their degrees, associate degrees or bachelor degrees in maintenance, electronics, sheet metal fabrication, machining, are really the next generation of, of people that know how to make parts. And, and they are being teached or taught by, by a professor from Canada, from UK, France. And uh, that, that fact deserves a lot of promotion and advertising. I mean, these schools are making a difference. 20 years ago, we didn't have that. And, and the training was more on-the-job training or, or, or expats traveling from from their corporate factories into Mexico and, and doing some effort in training or maybe our students went and take scholarships in, in, in other places. And that, that created a good result, no doubt. But the new schemes of, of training with these schools are really a game changer. I, I commend the government and, and the uh, government institutions for having such a vision that started maybe 12 years ago, and now these schools are a reality. So I, I am a firm uh, believer and, and supporter of, of, of such efforts. So training is the answer, and, and, and the, the curve is, is, is getting there. I mean, we still have years ahead to have the numbers and the skill level of countries that have been making aircraft for many years, no doubt, but really Mexico is closing the gap weekly. So the next generation is going to be the breaking point, in my opinion, for, for such a comparable level of skill. And we're very proud of being part of that. Steve, let me go to you for a moment as it has to do with Mexico Shelter Manufacturing Partnerships and the aerospace industry in Mexico. Uh, give our listeners kind of an explanation of what the MSMP is all about. Well, basically, it's uh, like I said, I mean, if, if you were and I were to manufacture a product in Mexico, that's what we would want to uh, occupy ourselves with putting a product together uh, that's of a quality that's going to be able to sell in a competitive marketplace. And there are things that we would be 
you know, concerned about uh, in terms of priority uh, of our activities to make that happen. That'd be quality control. That'd be uh, buying materials. That would be what's going on on the line. Um, of course, you know, those are value-added things. Those are things that make us competitive and, and help us to be profitable in our business. There are things that have to be done. You, you have to make a payroll. Uh, you have to make sure in Mexico that you know how to do the payroll in such a way that there are deductions taken from it that are mandated by Mexican law, by Social Security, for the housing fund, for the retirement fund, and, and things of that nature. You have to report to Mexican Social Security who's working for you. You have to let them know when they're not working for you. You have to deal with all customs issues. For instance, you know, uh, shelter companies, typically the way they're structured, they're importers of record, which means that they are responsible in front of the Mexican government in terms of compliance and making sure that everything is shipped into Mexico from the states or wherever, or any finished product uh, coming out is within what Mexican law with respect to customs mandates. And, and those things can be complex. I mean, any area of, of, of the legal profession that has an entire uh, wing dedicated to it obviously is somewhat complex. Um, so things like that, as well as Mexican taxation issues, uh, companies, the way the structure is typically set up is that you and I, if we were to be the manufacturer, would go in, we would run our plant in Mexico. We would choose the people that would work for us. We would supervise them. We would make sure that everything is going down the line and ending up at the end of it in the quality condition that we want it to be. We would make sure that the deliveries would happen when we want the deliveries to happen. We would control it. But on the other hand, you know, we're in Mexico under the structure that most shelter companies use. We're not a legal entity there. We're a department of the shelter service provider that we've chosen. If you choose TECMA, you know, you would be uh, the department of, of, of TECMA, TECMA group in Mexico, one of the departments. Therefore, all of those things dealing with customs, with accounting, are things that you wouldn't have to deal with. And everything that you would do in Mexico, you would do under the auspices of a U.S.-based contract. That would mitigate risk as well. And it would save you the cost that you might have to uh, assume if you were to have somebody on your staff or somebody on retainer that uh, had a knowledge of Mexican legal issues. So, again, you know, what it really is is just, uh, let's use an analogy, it's an outlet that uh, manufacturers can plug into and and make the machine work, you know, within a relatively uh, short time frame. Uh, Gail, let me just uh, chat with you for a second on aerospace in Mexico. When you were at the offshore group and with what you're doing now, what do you see happening in terms of all of the, the aircraft production, and how much of that is going to be done in Mexico? Well, you know, I, I wondered about that several years ago, and just to kind of summarize what I saw. I've seen over 15 years when I first began hosting visits from aerospace back in 1998. Uh, in fact, I hosted uh, nearly 100 visitors or, or companies. At that time, in the early times, these were companies looking to set up a manufacturing facility that they would have. Now, the offshore group also provides the shelter program that Steve has very adequately described. 
But what I've seen in the last few years, the trend has changed. Companies not looking so much to set up in Mexico and do their own manufacturing, but companies are looking for sourcing. When I say companies, I'm mentioning Boeing. Uh, there's a big one. Uh, Rolls-Royce is another one. These are companies that are we're hosting and they're visiting, but they are looking for suppliers in Mexico. And that's the change. More uh, looking for supply, less desire to set up their own manufacturing operation. Uh, Gail, just uh, for our listeners, because I know any time the U.S. Uh, company looks for a, a source of supply anywhere in the world, they're looking for something in terms of quality that's equivalent to U.S. quality. How is quality coming out of Mexico? Well, you know, I like that question because I began my career nearly 50 years ago as a quality control engineer with IBM. And that was a major concern when initially companies were starting to come into Mexico. See, I've been involved in Mexico since 1972. Quality was a big concern. But uh, just like the, the camera in 1950, you would want a German camera, not a Japanese camera. But over the years, that has changed, and that has changed also in Mexico because companies are now, nearly all of them are ISO 9000 certified. And one of the big surprises when companies come to visit Mexico, not so much in the last five years, but say 10 years ago, they walk in expecting to walk into a third world nation where quality was still very backward and very poor. But you come in today, these certified plants are amazing, the state of the art in machining and manufacturing. Now, I have involved, I, was in, I lived in Singapore and was involved in setting up a plant in China. And so I've been rather interested in Chinese products, and I have found that Chinese products you can have, if you're fortunate, good quality. But I've seen more often quality that in the early stages when they are qualifying their programs is good. But as they come into production, it has shifted and is not so good. And even worse, I have seen some suppliers become competitors. As I compare the Mexican quality that we are receiving, I take great pride in bringing visitors into our plants into the manufacturing plants, uh, not just aerospace, but other plants also. And they are amazed when they see the uh, robots and other uh, sophisticated equipment being implemented in Mexico. So most visitors today, they view quality in Mexico as being equal to, and my experience having managed plants in the United States versus Mexico, I I have greater confidence in Mexican plants than I do uh, in some of the U.S. plants. seems to be a shift. So I, I have to uh, really applaud Mexico and what has happened with the university training and with the technology that has brought down. The Mexicans are still very eager to learn and very eager to do things right, and that's shown uh, by looking at the products that come out of Mexico. Uh, that that being said, um, in some of my reading and research uh, regarding Mexico, there was a, a term that uh, came up 
uh, that I saw, and I wanted to question uh, the three of you about if you if anyone wants to take this one. Uh, the term sheltered workshop. Uh, it seems as though uh, that's a, a, a contract machine shop that you can effectively open up in Mexico within about six weeks and get the benefit of uh, all of the benefits that Mexico has to offer. And I believe that American companies can own these companies. Uh, can somebody comment on that? Can I pick that up again? Because yeah, Steve, Steve, yeah, yeah, Steve is probably best on that one, but uh, <laughs> I could uh, contribute also after. Sure, of course. Of course, uh, you know, basically it was what I had described previously with a little bit of a different spin on the terminology. It, it's a situation where you contract with a company like Tecma or like the offshore group, uh, and basically you just plug into an infrastructure that you control all of your manufacturing functions. Uh, you, you, you basically, you know, as far as, as – a legal entity in Mexico, you're not a legal entity, but you are, in the eyes of the Mexican government, a department of the shelter company with whom you've decided to kind of sign a contract with uh, for services in Mexico. And it's and one distinction that really needs to be made here uh, markedly is that it is not a contract manufacturing operation. It's not a contract setup. It's not a setup where if you and I were manufacturers in the States, you know, we'd hand our designs and our, our drawings over to somebody else, and it would be a third party, and we'd say, make the part, do it this way. Uh, we may or may not uh, supply materials. That That's a third-party relationship. What, what a shelter company does, or a sheltered manufacturing plant, as you use that term, does, is it's, it's a situation in which you do not have to go through all the bureaucratic process you do not have to have the skill sets to have your own in-house accounting, your own in-house HR, your own in-house import-export and logistics and transportation expertise because that's provided by the company that provides the sheltered services that we're talking about here. But what it does do is it allows you to fully control your manufacturing, and it's not a situation in which whereby under subcontracting, uh, as an alternative, you're, you're handing it over to a third party. So it's, it's, it's kind of a hybrid situation. Gail, would you add anything to that? Well, let me give you an example. This goes way back to the earlier days of aerospace in Mexico. It was in 1999, a company based in Phoenix called Smith West. They were receiving extreme pressure from GE to manufacture their aerospace parts and machine them in Mexico. Smith West called me. I went up in March, met with them for the first time. They saw what the capabilities were. They were able to ship machines down to Mexico, and they shipped some of the uh, uh, talented people that were from the U.S. temporarily located in Mexico. And by May, they shipped some of their first parts out of Mexico. So that gives you an idea of what can be done. Now, oftentimes, companies today, not that they would set up their own operation in a shelter program, but they would go to existing companies in a shelter program or maybe not a shelter program, but have the necessary aerospace certifications. Now, there is a time lag between uh, starting an operation in Mexico and getting the certification from the aerospace. The time lag is more with the uh, using company and meeting their uh, qual- their criteria 
uh, to get their certifications. But generally, a company that is already existing has the aerospace certifications. Can you can drop your product in them and not just subcontract, but you could send some of your technical people to assist the work to help expedite it and make sure it meets the specifics. Uh, and uh, you can ship your product product out in fairly short time. Now, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to be right back. I know that Lou has a question that he uh, wants to pose. But let's take a quick commercial break, and we will be back with the Aerospace in Mexico show here on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome we'll back. back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Uh, by the way, I'd like to just mention uh, after the show, 10 minutes after the show, you can uh, podcast this show. And 10 minutes after the show, we will have a second show today with Professor Adriano Sanford of the Arizona State University with lots of letters after her name. We'll go into that later. So stick with us for that. Uh, gentlemen, I'd like to ask, we were talking about the sheltered manufacturing or sheltered uh, workshops. And just to continue one other point in regards to perhaps some manufacturing companies, the small to medium-sized companies who might want to uh, shift a certain portion of their uh, production down to Mexico. Is there any uh, tax advantage or tax penalties uh, that one might incur from either country, Mexico or the United States? And open question, anybody pick up the ball? Well, there, there's an advantage, and, and Gail, you're going to be able to add to this, but uh, one of the advantages that, that I think is pretty significant is that, you know, the way the shelter companies are typically set up, uh, companies going to Mexico under their, their Mexican entity's business license, therefore, you know, as, as a taxable entity in Mexico, uh, you know, the, the American firm operating in the eyes of the Mexican legal system as a department of the shelter company doesn't have any tax exposure in, in Mexico. It, it really doesn't exist as a, a taxable entity there. Um, and, and, you know, obviously 
that saves the company the need to, to have tax expertise uh, on the Mexican side. And additionally, it, it saves at least one upfront cost that I can think of. When companies go to manufacture in Mexico and they set up wholly owned subsidiaries in that country, they are required by the Mexican uh, equivalent of the IRS. It's called the uh, Secretaria de Hacienda and uh, in Credito Público. And, and what they're required to do is something called a transfer pricing study. And a transfer pricing study is, is something that, you know, an American company or a German company or a Japanese or any company would have to go out and do to basically, uh, you know, have the, 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 the company doing the study, which would be like a KPMG or a, a Baker McKenzie or some other international accounting firm, that would enable them to be able to estimate the company's projected profitability on, in Mexico. And, and the Mexican government would take that figure and use it as uh, the figure upon which they'd base their 30% uh, corporate income tax, tax levy. Now, obviously, you know, if, if you're in a shelter situation where you're a quote-unquote department of a shelter company's entity in Mexico, you're not going to get corporate income taxed in Mexico, nor do you have to do that one-time expenditure to go out and have a transfer pricing study done. So for a smaller company or a mid-sized company that, that you just mentioned that may lack international sophistication to be able to you know, navigate those things on their own, well, they don't really have to go out and, and, and get the installed capacity or perhaps purchase the consulting know-how to be able to do it. So it creates a uh, an environment where they can get the benefits of operating internationally without some of the more uh, intricate things that, that they might have to deal with otherwise. I'll do. I'll you know, I'll add to that if you would like. Uh, it's not that taxes are not being paid in Mexico. The company, uh, as Steve has described very well, does not because they are not a legal entity. However, the shelter operator pays tax based on their operating cost and profits. That's correct. Okay. Well, great. That's great clarity. Uh, Elder, I just want to go to you for a moment. From your perspective uh, with the Association for Manufacturing Technology in Mexico, what are some of the obstacles you see, uh, you know, the reticence of American companies uh, to come into Mexico to have manufacturing done there? Yes, thank you. Well, I would I would really uh, give a different name, not really obstacles, but we call it speed bumps because this this is moving fast and and the trend is is really taking momentum. But there are some uh, speed bumps in the road that we can work together. Uh, we can possibly point out some complexities related to tax management or import-export or international trade compliance that, that are, you know, in effect, uh, certain raw materials, certain uh, classification uh, materials or harmonized tariff codes are, have different treatments. It, it, it depends on where those components or materials were manufactured in the first place, and that has some complexity associated to import-export and speed for moving uh, materials across the border and, and what is the impact in duties, taxes, and things like that. But fortunately, there are, there are experts around that can help us there. 
and I will second what uh, Gail and, and Stephen just told us about the shelter scheme. One more advantage of, of being part of the shelter scheme is there are experts in those organizations that can really help uh, sort out and navigate these circumstances and in the compliance side, uh, companies feel more uh, safe when operating under shelter. Uh, besides that, other other speed bumps or issues we face down the road, and this is again this is part of the compliance side of, of doing business. Uh, export control, export control is is very important. We we know that, that there are restrictions on the the information, the technical information, or the uh, specifications, drawings, technology that can be legally. Uh, uh, exported in, into the country. Uh, the, those rules need to be understood uh, very, very detailed so the compliance is, is assured. Uh, we, uh, we have seen, I have seen in my experience, uh, times where there is a good initiative out there for transitioning certain products or process into Mexico because it makes sense economically. It makes sense because we have the skill and the the equipment, the machinery to to fulfill the requirements and, and, and make parts to drawing, and it all makes sense. Uh, but we need to be careful with the the, the formalities on, on importing, exporting the the information. I am referring to export licenses uh, that are out there for companies to apply for. Uh, many times, companies that are attempting to do this for the first time are not necessarily experts in, in the field. And again, we need to seek some advice from consulting firms or center companies or the government to make sure we are in compliance and we can speed up the process for a, a approving uh, an export license. That, that is being uh, put as one of the restrictions that we need to understand and, and sort out in order to successfully uh, do more and more successful, more more faster transitions to the country. And I will add uh, another one, which is the, the misconceptions so, sometimes about cost and, and the, the true advantage of moving manufacturing into Mexico. The, the country is very competitive. If you put it in perspective with other countries in Eastern Europe, Asia, Mexico is not necessarily cheap. It's really very uh, advantageous in terms of cost. Labor cost is only one element in in the whole scheme. That there are other costs that need to be understood and and dominated: the logistics costs, the the, the compliance costs, uh, and things like that. So sometimes the misconception that something is going to represent less dollars built in Mexico is, is accurate, but sometimes there is a misconception because at the end of the day you have some advantage but not as as big as uh, your initial estimate indicated. So the recommendation there is to really do some uh, in-depth analysis and research and really call experts. I am referring to, again, government entities. Secretary of Economia, Banco Mex, or Mexico, or private entities such as shelter organizations. 
from what I from what I understand, the aerospace in itself in uh, Mexico is picking up. Uh, depending upon the years that you're talking about, in the last ten years, have been picking up at the rate of ten to almost twenty percent a year. And you have about, I think it's four hundred companies, man- aerospace manufacturing companies. And certainly with a workshop, uh, 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 a sheltered ma- a workshop environment, that would certainly look to entice small to medium-sized companies to come down to Mexico and perhaps uh, uh, take advantage of that situation, lower cost, currency, and so on. Uh, there is uh, issues, however, in dealing uh, in Mexico, and, and some of it, uh, some of it is crime, and some of it is uh, the drug industry. How, does that at all impair uh, the the growth and migration of American companies down into Mexico? Uh, I'd like to take that one on. Uh, does it exist? Yes, it, it's, it has existed, and there are some people that have that great fear. Uh, Myself, I have traveled all over Mexico for the last 40 years, and I have seen that if people, as they travel in Mexico, stay on the main highways and visit their plants, that problem uh, just doesn't seem to exist at all. If they stray into areas, I mean, like there are cities in the United States you wouldn't want to stray into. So does that fear exist? I've had a client... uh, decided not to put his factory in Mexico because he had great fear. Uh, He was traveling with me, and we had no sign, uh, evidence that would create that fear, but whatever he's read or whatever he's heard caused that element. There's something else I'd like to add to what Aldo Rodriguez said. One of the challenges in the machining industry, not just aerospace, but machining industry, is finding qualified secondary uh, operations such as heat treating or surface treatment. That still has uh, room to develop and improve. Fortunately, in the Guaymas area, uh, Body Coat has an operation. They do heat treating. Ellison Surface Technologies has a small operation. They do uh, plating and other secondary operations. But that is a challenge still remaining in the industry. That being said, uh, you're still close enough, for example, to Houston to uh, be able to have certain secondary uh, or outsourced uh, processes uh, done in Houston. That's correct. But it it does eliminate, if you have to send to Houston for uh, surface treatment and then return to Mexico, uh, you are losing the advantage of being in Mexico because of the cost of logistics back and forth. But uh, that is improving. Yes. Uh, this is, uh, again, Aldo here. And, Gail, I, I am in completely in, in agreement with that. That's definitely one hurdle, one challenge. Possibly the biggest. I, I agree with you. Uh, there are still not enough secondary processing houses in Mexico to support the, the wide uh, spectrum of, of components that we are building in the country already. Uh, and for the public that is not familiar uh, with, with the term, within the aerospace industry is, is, uh, is very critical. I mean, those, what they call special processes are those processes that affect 
the structure of the material, like heat treating or laser cutting or plasma sprays or superficial treatments or some specific uh, uh, non-destructive uh, testings that, that need to be applied to the product. Uh, and you know what? This is, this is surprising. In Mexico, you will be amazed of the number of uh, labs that do possess this technology, like very uh, high-level uh, laboratories that do metallographies or uh, corrosion testings or stress analysis. Th there are uh, many places out there uh, in the country that have been developed by other industries, like automotive, electronics, and so on. However, these, these organizations don't have the approvals that are required the credentials with NATCAP or customer-specific approvals. Uh, there are some companies, like like uh, uh, Gail pointed out, in the Guaymas area, and some others in the Bajío region, Querétaro, or Chihuahua, that have been adding to the catalog of processes that we all need in Mexico. But the gap is still big. So I know for a fact that many companies, we and we included, we, we need to move parts across the country or send parts back to the U.S. for certain special treatment, heat treating, or, or painting, and then back to Mexico. So slowly but consistently, that gap is being closed yeah. with more uh, more brave companies that are finally making decisions to open uh, uh, branches to, to offer those processes. And, and again, the trend is, is clear, and I anticipate that in the next couple of years, possibly two or three, those gaps will be almost closed. Chairman, you'll have to, on that note, uh, we're going to have to wrap it up. It's uh, been an interesting show, and I, I think we've given some insight to some brilliant entrepreneurs here in America, uh, as well as uh, uh, laying out the aerospace uh, industry, the new aerospace industry in Mexico. I'd also like to mention that we are going to have uh, our, this show up in about 30 minutes online uh, at mfgtalkradio.com, and I think that that is a wrap. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, and uh, have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you. Thank you all. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.